Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and friend, thank you for listening in as we wrap up season four, where most months we've been featuring a different co-host who shares her personal faith story and then asks some big faith questions. Then throughout the month, we're joined by guests who share with us and address some of my co-host's honest questions. But it's December, and I wanted to do something a little different, not too different, really, But throughout this year, I've had the opportunity to host this program with some really special young women, and I wanted to bring a few of them back on here for some special bonus episodes this holiday season. As always, I want to thank those of you who are actively involved in supporting this show, either through your prayers, encouragement, or financial support. And if you want to learn more how you can be involved in keeping this show on the air, I want to invite you to check out my website, findingsomethingreal.com. You can click on support at the top of the page. Today, I just want to shout out a thank you to my friend Janice, who is one of the biggest cheerleaders for this project. Janice Beginski, I'm grateful for you. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) me too. (laughs) (laughs) Today, I want to start by welcoming back February's co-host, Tori Carpenter. And if you missed the episodes we recorded back in February, I encourage you to go back and take a listen to Tori's story. But my friend Tori here has been through some stuff. And last we talked on the podcast, we were having some deep discussions on faith deconstruction after tragedy, what the Bible actually says about humanity and the human need for a savior, and lots of other things. And man, Tori, uh, those conversations with you uh, led to some amazing guests, and that started this whole season off, and look at what you've inspired here. So 10 months later, here we are. How are you doing? I am doing so good. And I'm so grateful that you asked me to come back. I love being on this show. And um, I have to say, you know, it's funny because when I started this whole process, I just thought, oh, it's going to be cool to have conversations conversations with Janelle. But now I feel like I'm friends with the people that you had on as guests. Like I talk to Dami often and um, I talk to Alan all the time and we just keep in touch and I feel like they've become my friends. So I'm really grateful for that. Oh, that's awesome. And I know we talked about it um, on the episode that went out for Patreon subscribers, but what are you taking away from this experience? Like besides the friendships, like um, what did you take away from the conversations that we had? 
Um, just, I think that, especially with the guests that we spoke with, <clears throat> I think that what I've taken away is even in all of the uncertainty and the doubt and the questions that I have, um, I think that that there is something real, that there's something constant that I can cling to and trust in. And, um, you know, I still sometimes struggle with questions and sometimes I still have doubt, but I think generally I've discovered in this process that there, there is, there is more, there is something real out there mm. and that gives me hope. Yeah. How are you doing? Oh, I've been better to be honest. It's been a crazy year and a crazy couple months, but I really believe that it's all going to be okay and things work out and everything happens for a reason. So it's just a valley, I guess, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you're here. And as always, I've got questions prepared for our guests today. Feel free to jump in anytime um, because I think you're going to love today's guest. Um, I love him. Uh, We have, he's very special to this program. um, And I think he's going to become your friend too. Um, in fact, in sharing a previous episode of his, I quoted Clarence in that classic holiday movie, It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> when I said, each man's life touches so many others, uh, so many other lives. That's certainly true of today's guest who has impacted numerous lives by his decades of ministry and service. Despite personal sufferings and tragedy, he's moved by a power that's much greater than him. And last we talked with him on the podcast, which I believe was well over a year ago, um, he had just received a very difficult medical diagnosis. So I am so grateful that he is still here. And I just want to say I'm thankful for his faithfulness as well. And I'll try not to get emotional during this episode, but I already know it's going to happen because even in preparing the notes, I was crying. So Pastor Bob Loon, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. Oh, Janelle, it's just a real privilege to be here because, uh, you know, I love you and Brian and your children and and uh, still think you ought to move back to Othello, but <laughs> <laughs> that probably won't happen, So, but I do love you. I love you too. And tell us how you're doing. It's been a journey. It has been a journey. Um, first, let me start with the health deal because it was in uh, May and June of 2020 that I received my diagnosis of stage four metastatic cancer, inoperable, incurable. They put me on palliative care to keep me as comfortable as possible for as long as possible. The uh, first doctor that diagnosed me, I asked him, well, how much time do I have? He said, oh, a year, maybe two. Um, So here I am at about what, 16 or 17 months, year and a half. And uh, last week, I went for an MRI, a CT scan, and an ultrasound to see if cancer had, had in fact metastasized and spread. They were concerned about my brain, all of my internal organs, my lungs, my heart, and so on. Get this, not one trace of wow. cancer. I, I was completely blown away um, when I, cause I was, I was kind of scared, you know, about what the test would find because, you know, you kind of expect after a year and a half that it's, it's spread and, you know, we've got to deal with something else. 
and it just comes back with no evidence of cancer. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just blown away. And if that's not a miracle, it'll do till one comes along. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, praise God. Praise God yeah. for that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I remember, I mean, you were on here, I think in May, it was, or, or maybe it was early June, but I remember it was right after you had received yeah. that. Um, and so, in fact, I think we even invited you before we knew that was even right. something on your radar. Cause I remember right. thinking, I mean, my goodness, he's on here. <laughs> we just, he just experienced this horrific, um, diagnosis and man, I mean, I'll, I'll bring up some of that conversation then, but I was amazed by your faith and what you said uh, you hoped for uh, physically for your body, but also what you hoped for um, with your eternal hope in Christ. And so um, I know that episode ministered to me. In fact, one of the things that you said last time you were here, you said, Jesus died to give me life. Does God owe me anything? No, he's already given me the ultimate gift. Um, man, I, I wanted to know how you could say that then because uh, it was that was hard. You didn't know that you'd be sitting here 16 I months didn't. later and have I this I, kind I, of story. I had no guarantee that I would be, you know, here today. So, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of that came out of a, of a much earlier dark time of my life. Um, started in back in 1993 when I lost all sensation of God in my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, I would read the Bible and it just seemed as dry as dust. I would go to worship services and my heart was never stirred by anything. I would try to pray and it just felt like it dribbled off my chin and went nowhere. And that went on for months and months and years and years. And I remember driving out west of my little village and uh, I'll never forget this. I stopped beside this gravel pit. I mean, talk about bleak. Um, there was a little bit of sagebrush, but it was just a gravel pit. There was no life there. And I parked right beside it. And I said, Lord, if I never have the privilege of leading somebody to faith in you again, if the Bible stays as dry as dust the rest of my life, if worship never moves me, if I have no sensation of your presence in my life, I want you to know that you all by yourself are enough. Mm -hmm. Jesus, you are enough. And so that, <clears throat> that really became the foundation of my life. That whether I felt Jesus or not, whether he blessed me or not, whether he used me in ministry or not, it didn't matter. He was enough. So Pastor Bob, you've shared that story on the podcast before, and I've listened to it, and I've thought a couple things about that story. And I, I wanted to follow up on that, actually. Um, I, it, it's not in my notes, but now that you bring the, that up, I'm like, man, you were leading a church at that time. Is yeah, that right? yeah. Mm -hmm. What was that like, leading a church, being a spiritual leader, pastoring people, dealing with their issues, and, and loving on them? in the midst of feeling like, where is God? Um, well, sometimes you feel like a fraud, <laughs> you know, although um, I didn't try to claim something that wasn't mine. Mm. Um, 
and I, I simply, I simply walked one step at a time. I, I just did what was the next thing that needed to be done, you know, and tried to, uh, you know, teach and pray and counsel and, and just do all the pastor stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and in, you know, in one sense, it felt like I was doing it all in my own strength. And in the other sense, it was a, the awareness that huh, if anything's going to happen at all, it's got to be God because I have nothing in my tank. And so um, the funny thing is our church started to grow faster in that time period than ever before or since. Wow. And um, it was, it was a remarkable time. And I was very much aware that I had absolutely nothing to do with change lives or the growth of the church or its impact or anything. It was almost like I was observing God working through the people of the church. Hmm. That was a, that was an important thing. Did you feel angry with God because your feelings for him weren't there, but you were still preaching his truth? I mean, <laughs> did you feel like he had abandoned you? You were doing your part. Why wasn't he doing his? Well, you know, Mother Teresa called him the absent one. <laughs> and th that was very comforting to know that that's what she called God, was the absent one. Um, yeah, I, I struggled with anger at the beginning, but once I got to that point of saying, Jesus, you're enough, um, I, I can't say that I've been disappointed in God uh, or angry with him that that pretty well ended with that, that mm -hmm. commitment. Um, so I know feelings ebb and flow and, and we're going to yeah. talk a little bit now about your season that you're in right now. But, um, after you went to that gravel dust place and you yeah. said, Jesus, you're enough. And, and basically when I think of that story, I think of a surrender, like, fine, I'm going with you no matter what. Right. Um, did the feelings come back then? No not for at least four more years. It was just, it was just a desert time, a wilderness time. And a, a lot of the, uh, a, a lot of the saints in our past have gone through wilderness times, you know, the dark night of the soul. Um, one of my favorite stories was, uh, um, oh, St. Teresa in France. So she's, she's, she was really persecuted because she had a lot of, you know, visions and revelations and the church authorities, you know, they were very suspect and didn't think a woman could teach and all that kind of stuff. And so she's persecuted. She even did some jail time. But one time she was going from one place to another to, to minister. And it was a She's in the stagecoach and it's a stormy night and it's muddy on the road and the stage slides off of the, the highway, ends up in the borrow pit. You know, she's soaked, she's muddy, she's cold, miserable, and the stagecoach is broken down. And uh, her next entry in her journal was, well, Lord, if this is how you treat your, your people, no wonder nobody likes you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just thought, oh, that is so good. But she was honest, you know. Yeah. 
So yeah, I remember. I don't know if we talked about this in a previous episode, but um, I watched, uh, you know, Priscilla Shire and Dr. Tony yeah. Evans. Their yeah. their mom. So Dr. Tony Evans, his wife Lois, died at the age of seventy. And their son got up there, Jonathan, and he gave the eulogy. Did you watch it? You I heard didn't know that oh, would be something. Listen, I'm going to link it on this episode. You guys, I shared it. I, I was uh, the speaker at a conference a few weeks ago, and Tori was there for part of it. And I shared this little clip, this video, um, where Jonathan Evans, he shares about begging God, like, after all this family did for you, why can't <laughs> you do this, you know? And God's like, uh, you like basically put him in his place, you know, like reminded him, I'm God, you're not, uh, you get, you back up off of this privilege that you think you have. And, um, man, but it was tough. He said that in the middle of grieving and feeling like, wow, God, you know, this is really hard. I'm, I'm remembering your your promises. He, he gave all this, you know, scripture at the beginning, but then he said, but I got to tell you, I was struggling. My feelings were struggling. And then he goes on and on and he goes, why didn't you save her? Why didn't you do this? And he said, I felt like God answered me. The answer to your prayers were always going to be yes. And yes, either I was going to save her or I was going to save her. Either I was going to bring her with family. I was going to bring her with family. It was always yes. And yes, it's so powerful. Anyway, Wow. Pastor Bob, you've been going through uh, Valley as well. Would you share a little bit about that? Well, um, 23 and a half years ago, my wife, Kathy, was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And, uh, you know, Parkinson's is one of those slowly progressing, progressive neurological disorders in which um, step by step the person loses um, one thing after another, you know, she lost, uh, her balance. She lost hand eye coordination. So over the years, my very creative wife who did all kinds of beautiful things, sewing and painting, and she made beautiful banners for the church. She lost that ability. And, um, then she lost the ability to read because she just couldn't track the words on the page. And she lost the ability to watch television because it was just random noise. And so um, it was in January of 2019, um, she picked up the phone one day, called 911 and said that there was a strange man in the house. Well, that would be me. And so we had police show up and an ambulance show up. She was evaluated. I was interrogated to make sure I wasn't beating my wife. And uh, the upshot was uh, she decided to go into an assisted living place. So that was in January of 2019. Shortly thereafter, because she continued to just lose one ability after another, I started begging God to take her home to heaven. Mm. You know, we've been praying for 20 years for healing. Well, that hadn't happened. Although when she was first diagnosed, the doctor said within nine years, she'd be bedfast. Well, you know, she beat that by two and a half times the estimate. Mm. But as it got harder and harder and harder for her, then I started begging God, please take her home. Please be merciful to her. 
she started having severe hallucinations. Um, she would see um, war happening all around the, uh, the assisted living facility, or she would see big fires and she would imagine uh, they were all going to burn up. And then she imagined that the, the kitchen staff was grinding up babies and trying to feed them to her. So she quit eating. Mm. She, she lost well over a hundred pounds before she finally passed away. So in, uh, in mid August, she started complaining about uh, some severe headaches, which she never had had before. So they took her to the emergency room. I met, met him there. And honestly, we had the best conversation that day. And after she finished her CT scan, uh, I, they brought her lunch and I fed her lunch because she couldn't handle a fork anymore. And so I fed her lunch and uh, she ate everything. She ate her chicken patty. She ate her mashed potatoes, ate the whole bowl of ice cream. You know, I mean, she just ate everything. And I said to her, wow. That, that's the best you've eaten for months. She said, oh, I eat like this all the time. You're just never around, you know, but it was very clear. And we, we got to talk, we got to visit and uh, just hold hands there in the emergency room. Well, she was released. They actually put her in my car. I drove her back to the facility. We got her ready. She said she was tired, wanted to lay down, which seemed obvious to me after being in the hospital. That'd be exhausting. She lay down and she fell asleep. And I thought, yeah, she'll sleep for an hour or two and then she'll be ready for supper tonight. She never woke up. Mm. Nine days later, she passed away on our 52nd wedding anniversary of all, all days. Um, and as I sat with her, in her room after she had passed. Um, I did have a uh, lot of different emotions. Regret being one of the more powerful ones, but also thankfulness that God had finally heard my prayer to take her home to heaven. And uh, I remember as I helped to lift her off of her bed, onto the funeral gurney. She was as light as a feather. She just had, she had just wasted away to hardly anything. And uh, so I was grateful. She didn't have to lay there. She didn't have to suffer. And uh, that was a great, a great blessing, a hard blessing, but it's, it's good. It is good. So that was how long ago now? Um, she passed away on August 23rd, and then we had her funeral on August 30th. Thank and thank you so much for coming. That was special. Well, we love you guys. Um, it, so we're recording this at the end of October, um, and this won't come out for a few weeks, but um, you, since then, you've been busy. Yes, um, unfortunately, you can ignore that. It's probably a salesperson. <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, I have had a lot of friends pass away. 
and almost all of them have been younger than me. Uh, three of them with COVID. So anyway, this week I am working on my seventh funeral since Kathleen's funeral on August 30th. And uh, that just seems to me overwhelming. And uh, the, the current funeral I'm working on, the uh, individual took his own life, a man only in his 40s. And uh, I, I just think that's just heartbreaking. So it, but it has, everybody else's grief has compounded with my own grief and it has been very, very difficult. Well, we're recording this now, um, which ironically we're right around the corner from all Hallows Eve, right? Like yes, Halloween, right. we celebrate death, but Christmas we celebrate new life Yes, and, yeah. um, and light coming into the darkness. So, Pastor Bob, tell me about the hope you have, even in the midst of tremendous sorrow and suffering, because I think there's a lot of people who might listen to this later who have experienced the deep loss of losing somebody, uh, being deeply fearful for their own health, perhaps, or uh, just have had a really hard time. Um, and you, your words aren't just the words of somebody who's like, <laughs> oh, that's nice. It's somebody who's actually experienced that and is experiencing, experiencing that right now. So um, I would love for you to share about that hope and how you're clinging to it right now. Well, actually, even starting with uh, my own diagnosis, uh, Psalm 23 took on a whole new meaning where David writes, uh, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, part of me reacted against David and said, well, David, I do have fear. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, but what I found is that God's rod and God's staff ends up being people who come alongside of us and that God strengthens us even in the valley of the shadow of death. He strengthens us by the people that walk with us through that time. One of my dear friends gave me a grief journal to work on um, right after Kathy passed away. And it has uh, 10 chapters. I just started chapter seven. And each week I write in that journal. It gives me questions, ask me how I'm feeling about this or that. And um, that has been extremely helpful just to put my thoughts down on paper and to be led through a what I think is a very healthy mourning process and uh, so in the midst of dealing with all of these other people all these other families that are grieving so much I have this journal that again is, it's been like God's rod and his staff a, a means of comfort for me and uh so I'm grateful for people um, who have come alongside and walked with me. I'm grateful for this grief journal that I can just pour out my thoughts into. And uh, 
And I'm very thankful for my morning prayer walk, <laughs> you know, because that is a, that's a very special time. So I don't know if that answered your question even. But. Yeah. Tori, I, I see your face. Do you have any questions for, for Bob here? I, I guess there's a lot I could say. Um, I feel like I can relate a lot. I don't know. Does, I don't know if you listen to my episodes at all, but um, when I was 24 years old, my 52-year-old dad died of cancer. He was he was diagnosed October 2nd, 2019, and then he died three weeks later. Oh and my then, goodness, that is so quick! You didn't have any time to get ready. I know it was a whirlwind for sure. Yeah. And, well, yeah, and then. He and then four months after that, the pandemic hit, which everything changed. That right. Happened. And then just this last August, August third, I had a really close friend of mine pass away, and he was only thirty-eight. He died of a heart attack, which just blew us all away because he was a picture of health. And uh, then in August, just the, just the end of August, um, I lost my job, which I didn't see coming, and. Um, I just feel like I've experienced a lot of loss too. And I think in the mo and actually two days from now is the second anniversary of my dad's passing. And um, so this month has felt really hard. And I, I just feel like there's been so many moments in the last two years, but especially the last couple months where I just feel like, I don't, I, I think sometimes I struggle with, I want to, if I'm being totally honest, like I want to believe that there's something next and that there's this beautiful paradise where believers go to and Christians say, you know, they say nice, encouraging things to me. But one thing that I really struggle with, even now after my friend passed away is I don't really know what's next. And everybody who tries to comfort me and encourage me doesn't also doesn't know. And so like the moment that my dad passed and the moment that my friend passed, I don't know what happens. Like, I don't know. I, I think most days I believe that there's this beautiful place that will be with the Lord, but sometimes I don't know. And sometimes I doubt that because nobody really knows what's next. And then I just feel sad. A lot of, a lot of the times I just feel sad and admitted, admittedly, like in those moments of great sadness, the story of Jesus doesn't really bring me much hope because I just feel sad and I wish my dad was here and I wish my friend was here and there's just a lot of pain, you know? So like the story of Jesus is beautiful, but in those moments of pain, I don't, I don't always feel that much hope. So I guess how do you, I'm sure you've probably dealt with similar emotions, maybe, maybe not, but um, yeah, like in those moments of like overwhelming sadness, what, what brings you hope? Well, first of all, I'm sorry that you've had so many major losses in such a short period of time. Um, I think that that is just overwhelming. And, um, you know, people always say, I think, stupid things like, well, everything happens for a reason. I think that's like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate it when people say that mm -hmm. because we live in a fallen and broken world horrible things happen to good people. Uh, random evil happens, you know, 
And I believe that all kinds of bad things are happening right now <clears throat> that a loving God does not wish was happening. And uh, what I have seen and what I try to trust is that, that a loving God is trying to always squeeze good out of the evil he did not want to have happen in the first place. And, um, but sometimes that's really hard because 38 year old friends are not supposed to be dying of heart attacks, you know? Um, <clears throat> and your dad was probably way too young to pass away. I mean, he's probably way younger than me. Yeah. He was 52. Yeah. And I'm six seventy three, So, you know, I can say, okay, I've lived my, my lifespan, but your dad had so much more to live for. And, uh, and I have three daughters and they're, they're not ready to lose their dad either because I think dads have a special place in a daughter's life. And so I, I agree for you. I just think that's really unfair, Tori. And, uh, but <clears throat> we serve a Jesus who suffered greatly himself. He didn't avoid any of the suffering in life. And um, I think that he probably understands our suffering even better than we do. And when he was hanging on the cross, what did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it's like to feel abandoned by God, forsaken by the one who has always been a constant in his life from all eternity. I think he knows how we feel and that we can be very, very honest with him with how we feel. And um, so please don't think that there's something wrong with you because you can't have this triumphant faith in the midst of all of this great tragedy. Um, if you did, I would think you were in denial. I think you're being honest. And uh, I happen to think that Jesus, who calls himself the truth, would rather hear uh, our laments, our our questions, our inability to even trust or believe that there is a heaven. Um, I don't think that's blowing him away. And you're right. You know, until we go through death ourselves, um, how do we know what's on the other side? We have a few little glimpses in, in the Bible, but they're very, very few. And that's, doesn't seem to be a big focus as to how wonderful the next world is. It's the focus is on how do we trust this God in the midst of a very broken and very fallen world. So your doubts certainly don't scare God. And I believe he does want to walk with you through this valley. I was going to ask you, do you have friends who are walking with you? Yeah, I have, I have two sisters. There's three girls in my family as well. And my sisters and I are very close. And oh, we've good. walked through it all together. 
Um, and then I have a couple really close, close friends. So well, Janelle is one of them, I would say. Yeah. Janelle has been through it, it all with me, seems like. And so, yeah, I do have people. Well, I'm glad that you do, because this would be crushing if you didn't, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And out of my own experience, I do believe that um, God's rod and staff really are those people that walk with us through times like this. Especially if they don't say stupid things. Like, oh, well, I just guess God needed your dad more than you did. Oh, yeah. that, that just, that'll just send me up a wall backwards. Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people do say stupid things. They're trying to be comforting, but they can say some really stupid things and uh, they don't comfort at all. And you just kind of, just let it be water off a duck's back. Okay. Yeah. I think I've learned to get there because there's been a lot of people that say stupid things. <laughs> yeah. It's a really stupid thing. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Bob, something that comforts me about this world, though, is that eternal perspective, which we don't see a lot of, um, you know, like you said, it's more on how do we hold on to hope in, in the God who saves, right? Like when I look at Job in the Bible and I see like how God responded to Job and his, you know, questioning God reminds Job of who he is. Right. Um, so what kind of comfort you, you just mentioned seven funerals since Kathy passed away, like what kind of comfort are you, are you sharing with those people and, and someone who might be listening going, what hope do we really have? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, first Thessalonians has been a, a really key passage for me during this time where Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, uh, brothers and sisters, regarding those who have fallen asleep, or that because we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Um, I, I love the image of falling asleep. You know, I can, I can imagine falling asleep in this world and waking up, my next conscious thought is waking up and seeing Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I happen to think that's a beautiful thing. I, I believe that Kathy fell asleep, went into a coma on August 14th, really was not consciously aware of any passage of time. But when she woke up on August 23rd, she beheld the face of Jesus. And all of her suffering suddenly didn't mean anything anymore to her. So... Um, it comforts me to even think about death as falling asleep rather than the ending of life. Plus the fact we may, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve. Hopefully we grieve with the hope that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, that's a promise of a man who never lied to anybody. And he says he's gone to prepare a place for us. And I imagine that place to be absolutely perfect. It will fit us. It will be like we have finally come to that place 
that is so that we were designed for, you know, that we were made for. And so I trust. Well, see, my whole faith always comes back to Jesus. <laughs> he says he went to prepare a place. He says he's coming to take us back there. I trust that. I don't have to know what it's like. I only have to know that the Jesus who is willing to die for me says that he will come back and get me. And so I, I just have to rest in that. And that's what I share with other people. And uh, encourage them in the midst of their sorrow and their grief and their anger and frustration. And, you know, we play the blame game. Well, if the doctors would have done this or that, my loved one wouldn't have died. Um, ultimately, we come back to the fact that Jesus says, he will prepare a place for us. And I hang on to that. And I try to share that with other people. Why do you trust him? You shared earlier that um, you, you went through a, a long season where you were preaching about him, talking about him, ministering for him, and you couldn't feel him. You talked about how Mother Teresa said he was the absent one. Um, do you feel like he's absent right now? And why do you continue to follow him when the world says there's a lot of other things you could follow uh, right now in your grief? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a, a second century martyr, Polycarp. And uh, he was given the opportunity because he was a really old man. He was 84 years old or something like that. And he was given the option of just, you know, sacrifice a chicken to the deity of Caesar and, you know, we'll let you go back and you can preach all you want. He says, <clears throat> for 80 and four years, I have served my Lord. I'm not going to back out on him now. And so he went, he was burned at the stake. Um, and so whether I feel God any particular time, and there are times when he does draw very near, and I do sense his presence, but most of the time I live by faith, not by sight, not by feelings. And for me, Jesus is so worthy of being served and loved and followed um, that whether he does anything good for me, eh, he's still, because of who he is. I mean, he's Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings. He's also my suffering Savior. The Bible says that he who had no sin became sin for us. Can you, can you, that is mind boggling to me. He who had never done anything wrong <clears throat> was willing to become my sin. I actually think that's, that happened as he was hanging on the cross. The Lord, as Isaiah 53, 6 says, the Lord laid on him the sin of us all. I believe it was in that moment when the sin was laid on him that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he became sin. He who had no sin became my sin, my lust, my pride, my arrogance, my deceit. He became all of that garbage 
and felt cut off from God, which is what sin does for us. It cuts us off from God. And, and so he became my sin and was cut off from God. Well, there is no way I'm going to abandon somebody who did that for me. And he doesn't owe me anything because he's already done something so incredible that I keep trusting. Changing the direction a little bit of our conversation. Um, I remember hearing one time, and I actually read a book about it, that the human heart is made for worship. Like no matter who you are, you're made to worship, right? That was part of our DNA that God created us to worship. And in this world so often, um, and maybe for the course of history, I don't know, we want to worship people. And we see that there's a lot of pastors and worship leaders and Christian leaders who are being worshiped, who then fall from grace. They fall and it's public and they take a lot of people with them um, in their public deconstruction or falling away and saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, Pastor Bob, people love you. They adore you. And how do you keep yourself humble and grounded in a world where people are prone to worship other things other than Jesus? Yeah. Well, people see the outside of my life. I see the inside of my life. And so people will say nice things to me or say nice things about me. And I'll say, oh yeah, but if you knew the struggles of my heart, if you knew my, my weaknesses, if you knew my inadequacies like I do, you wouldn't say those nice things about me. And so, um, yeah, it always, it always surprises me that people say such nice things about me <laughs> because, um, you know, I know that I am just a simple, small-town pastor um, trying to do, you know, what I think God wants me to do every day. And much of that time, is it's just do the next right thing, do the next good thing. Um, well, let me talk about motives for a second. So when I was a, a younger pastor, I struggled with my motives because, you know, if I preached a sermon that people said was good, you know, they would compliment me. And then I'd start feeling like, oh, well, yeah, that was pretty good. I I am pretty good, you know, and things like that. And, uh, And so I felt like I was doing some things out of very mixed motives. You know, some things were for, for God, but some things, you know, it was also making me look good too. And so I actually came to the place where I said, okay, God, that's it. I'm not doing anything unless my motives are pure. (laughs) Well, I didn't do anything for a while because my motives weren't pure. And finally I said, Lord, I can't live like this either. I'm going to do what I think is the right and good and loving thing to do. And I'm going to let you worry about my motives. Yeah. And, uh, so I, that, you know, that's still where I'm at, you know, I just have to trust him with my motives, but, you know, I look inside of me, which other people don't see inside of me. And I see a fallen, ordinary, 
small town pastor. And uh, so, perhaps one of my bigger struggles is uh, believing that God can use a knucklehead like me, you know, for his the advancement of his kingdom. Hmm. That's, that's more of the surprise. Really? Yeah. See, that that's so hard for me to believe, Pastor Bob, because I see his anointing all over you, the way that you communicate, the way that you love people, the way that you will visit people in the middle of the night if they call you in a second you're there. Um, you're always available. Even when we left Othello, I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but you know, you were one of the first people I called because I was grieving and uh, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to talk to somebody about it. Yeah. And we went for a walk and uh, over and over again, people have shared with me um, how much you remind them of Jesus with skin on, right? And so God has used you over and over again. And um, I, what I see you in comparison to pastors who fall from grace, and tell me if I'm wrong, but you, it kind of reminds me of um, something I read by Lisa Turker. She said, be the kind of person where people look at you and go, that person's been with Jesus. And when I see you, Pastor Bob, that's what I see as somebody who has spent time with Jesus. And I think that that's what a lot of people love about you is your love for him. I don't know. So <laughs> you're not a knucklehead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, and, and, and thank you. That's a very nice thing for you to say. But that it also makes me say again, it's got to be Jesus because it's not me. I know me, and um, and my mom would say even to this day. She, by the way, is ninety five and survived COVID last wow. winter. But um, she would say, "Oh, it's a miracle every time he gets up to speak because he never talked as a child." <laughs> you know, I really didn't. I was so shy and introverted, and so. Even my own mother would say it's a total miracle. And I, I agree with her. I think um, God does something, but it's not me. Hmm. It has to be him. Yeah, yeah. So a couple final questions. Unless, Tori, do you have anything else you want to follow up on? No, I, I actually don't. I, I'm just taking this all in. Okay. Hey, Tori. Um, oh, go ahead. I just want to say, Tori, thank you for being a part of this. Yeah, you know? I, I love being a part of this. Thank you, Janelle, for letting me come back. I know. On. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, well, Pastor Bob, I asked that question because, uh, you know, I was mentioned that a few weeks ago I spoke at a women's retreat. Yeah. It was the first time I've spoken, you know, four times in a row like that. And um, the first night I had to leave immediately after, not just because I was tired, but because I knew I wanted to hear what people thought. I wanted to hear the accolades from people yeah. and I knew my motives weren't pure. I got it. I had to leave Tori and I got to spend some time together, but throughout that weekend, I don't know if I'm going to keep this in the podcast or not. Maybe I will. Um, but <laughs> I had mixed motives, like simultaneously in my heart, I was worshiping the Lord. I wanted to surrender. I wanted him to be glorified. And then also at the same time, I hated and loved hearing the sound of my own name being praised. Yeah. And I, it yeah. drove me insane 
Um, and I had to like keep on giving it to the Lord. And I came to the same conclusion you did. Like, no, this is a mixture. This is part of the human experience. God, you have to deal with this. I know yeah. that you showed up. I know that it was right between you and I. But even so, even in the midst of feeling filled up with him and having the feelings of his closeness and his presence, yeah. I felt that mixture. And it, it scared me a little bit, if I'm being honest, because it is so easy to love that, to yeah, love is. what people think of you, you know? Yeah. Um, so if there's one thing that you want people to know about you, um, you know, if you had one message to share, what would that message be? That God loves me and you far more than we even can imagine. And that, and that when, when, uh, sorry, but when my wife stepped into heaven on August 23rd, she experienced love beyond anything she'd ever experienced before. The very atmosphere of heaven is unconditional. Healing love. And we are made whole just by stepping into that incredible environment because it is full of God and God is love. You know, in 1 John 4, 8, the word says God is love. 1 John was one of the last books ever written in the Bible. It not only comes at the end of our Bible, but it really was literally one of the last books written, one of the last books incorporated in Scripture. And I think it's the highest revelation. God is love. The essence of God is love. The godness of God is love. And so when we encounter him, undiluted by the fallenness and brokenness of this world, we're going to be absolutely overwhelmed. And uh, I think there'll be a moment of regret where we say, oh, if only I would have believed that earlier, my life would have been so much different. And so that's what I would say now, you know, God loves us more than we even dare to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading the other day with a young woman. She's not a Christian, but we're reading John together. And we are reading John 3. And it was beautiful. You know, we read John 3 where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We all know that verse. And then it goes on to say, that God did not send his son into the world yeah, to condemn yeah. the world. But yeah. then further on, and now we stopped around there, but then further on it talks about whoever does not choose the son, God's wrath remains on him. Mm -hmm. And she goes, that's kind of scary. Yeah. And, uh, and I acknowledged that we talked about that. And then I, because of this podcast, because of people like Casey Leander, who's been on here and talked with Tori and I before as an apologist, I remembered the story of Jonah. And how Jesus talked about Jonah. 
and the story of Jonah, you know, the prophet going and saying, God, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't want to go there uh, because those people are wicked. They're awful. I don't want to go. And God sends him anyway. There's a whole thing that goes on. Finally, he goes and he gets there and he tells the people, repent of your sins or God's wrath is going to, you know, rain down. And guess what? They repent. And what does he say? He has a pity party. And he he says, God, I knew this was going to happen. I knew that you were a loving God, full of mercy, full of like unending love and patience for people. And it makes me mad and uh, that he sits under a tree, right? And God gives him shade. And that's how it ends. And I think it's such an incredible story because it's true. God doesn't desire evil for any one of us. He loves us deeply. And um, that is, he is love, just like you said. And um, anyway, there's the final question. um, Finding something real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Those are all gifts that I believe, and I think you do too, uh, that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ. Which stands out to you the most in your life right now? Restoration, eternity, authenticity or love and why yeah so i am trying to be as real as authentic uh, as i possibly can i want people to see into my life you know if if a wave of grief washes over me i just simply cry i don't care who i'm with i cry and if i'm feeling joyful i laugh and i i you know, it doesn't matter what people think or what they say. I'm just going to be who I am. And, uh, you know, I've always tried to do that, I suppose. But sometimes, you know, when you have a role as like pastor, you feel like you've got to be always strong and always calm and always put together. And, you know, no, if I need to cry, I'm going to cry. And uh, if it's a blue day, I'll just mope around. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's okay. You know, and so when people ask me how I am, maybe I surprise them by telling them how I really am, <laughs> you know, because some days I say, well, this is kind of a hard day, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, but it really does create authentic conversations. Yeah. And, uh, so those have been pretty special. Yeah. So authenticity. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, Pastor Bob, Tori, thank you both for being here so much. I love you both. And I'm so excited that we were able to have this conversation. And now you two know each other. And Tori, now you have another friend. Yeah. That's right, Tori. (laughs) Well, until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, But if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.